Good afternoon. This is Dr. Kirk Harris with Fathers, Families, and Healthy Community CEO. On the case, we've got a great show for you today, and we've got a great guest. Um, you know, we like to bring to you information that's salient, current, and uh, uh, really powerful about the opportunities to engage men in the lives of their children. And we got a good brother here today. His name is Ed Davies. He's going to talk to you a little bit about uh, some work that we're doing in collaboration with a, uh, a organizational um, partnership called The Power of Fathers. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, let me just say that it's really uh, it's really a, a good opportunity to talk about these issues of strengthening families. You know, we got a crazy world out there, and um, Ed, let me just let me just before I uh, before you introduce yourself, I want to just uh, uh, ask you f- uh, for a moment. Um, you know, when you when you, when we reflect on what's happening out there in the world, and we reflect on um, the importance of um, families. Do you have any perspective that you might share with the audience about that? Uh, and, and, and maybe when you're doing that, uh, and it, maybe share a little bit about uh, your background and a little bit about uh, why uh, you're doing the work that you're doing with Power of Fathers, and then we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, about Power of Fathers more specifically. Okay, sure. Um, actually, I'll start with a little bit of my background because I think that'll help explain my perspective on this work, or at least for folks to understand where I'm coming from. And um, you know, I, I grew up in a house where uh, my parents divorced uh, when they were when I was about 12 years old, and they've been married uh, close to 20 years um, by that point. But you know, even when they were married, my dad wasn't as present as we all would have liked him to have been. So. Um, I, I definitely felt the absence of having a strong, positive, contributing father um, in the home. And that has shaped me and my siblings, but also shaped why uh, my approach to this work and why I even want to do this work. And, you know, I want to make sure that as many young people as they grow up are able to say with a from a position of strength and power and, and positivity that um, they look to their dad as an example of how they want to be in life. Um, Far too many of our young people now, their narrative is, um, I learned how to be a man by doing the opposite of my dad. Mm-hmm. And we have to change that, um, you know, s- s- flip that around. And I think that's really where we are right now. That speaks to where we are as, as a society today, that even uh, dads, we have too many of our dads, you know, uh, who are locked up. We have too many of our dads who are not a part of, you know, the daily life of mm-hmm. their children. Um, they're dealing with their own issues. Uh, they're... Um, dealing with uh, things that are keeping them from showing up the way that they may want to show mm-hmm. up. And we have to address that. And, and that's a part of what we're trying to do with, with Power Fathers is uh, get dads back to a place where they can stand on their own and contribute in, in, uh, to their family in a positive way, but also that they are supported in a way that they need to be supported as men themselves. Yeah. And uh, thank you for that. And, you know, what's interesting, and I just want to spend a little, uh, just a moment, because, uh, you know, Fathers, Families, and Healthy Communities is a very early partner in helping to establish the power of fathers. And and one of the things that we recognize in the context of establishing that that as a kind of a, a as a framework for doing work with fathers is that there's multiple levels at which you must work 
right? That is to say, there must be the level at which we're working with the father and it's securing the father and his ability to understand parenting, to understand uh, uh, co-parenting, to be engaged around the development of his children, to be able to work and, and support himself and be mm-hmm. self-sufficient. So there are a number of things that we're doing with the individual, mm-hmm. which are critical uh, to the outcomes that we want to advance uh, for children. And then we know that there's another piece of that that's relating to uh, organizations that are working with families, right? And then there's another, and, and the importance of how they embrace that as an idea. And then there's another component around that, those external barriers that us policy geeks call, you know, barriers and other kinds of things, policy constraints that uh, and, and practices that cause problems. So there are right, multiple right. levels. And, and I think as we move on, I want to talk about how the power of fathers thinks and advances that. And of course, as a part of our early partnership with the power of fathers, we, we, that's the model that FFHC kind of operates from. And that's part of what we hope we, we were glad to be able to share in terms of the development of, of power of fathers. But with that said, let's talk a little bit more about uh, what the power of fathers is. I talked about it conceptually, but what does it look like in, in, in real real time, if you will? Yeah. So uh, the Power of Fathers is a uh, innovative, collaborative partnership of, of four organizations. Um, there's, as you know, your organization, Fathers, Families, and Healthy Communities, Metropolitan Family Services, Children's Home and Aid, and Family Focus. Uh, you know, they all came together about two and a half years ago and, and began um, thinking about how do we engage fathers better and not just engage fathers for the sake of improving the outcomes for fathers, but really with the focus on their children, um, primarily, specifically young children in the age, you know, zero to five or even zero to eight. And so we know um, that fathers are an important um, piece to the healthy development of a child and um, their growth and development into um, adolescent and adulthood for them to be successful and thriving. But oftentimes, as we said earlier, that piece is missing or that piece is damaged. And so how do we insert that piece, that critical piece, back into the to that puzzle of life for a young person? And how do we insert it in a way that's positive, that's healthy, that allows all of them to thrive? And so that's really the ethos behind the four organizations coming together and what holds them together. And um, to your point, it operates on, on three different levels. So the general premise of improve outcomes for children by improving the life circumstances of their fathers is, is what we, uh, what our approach is. But we know that in order to do that, you can't just fix the father. You have to fix the organizations that they're connected to, and then you have to fix the systems that they live in. And, um, and you know, that is a general construct uh, for all of our lives. You know, we all are... Every for all of us, our ecosystem exists as we exist as individuals, but we are uh, interact with organizations or companies or businesses mm-hmm. or on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And we and those organizations exist in the ecosystems of policies and systems. And so, if for us to function as a society and for us to function as, as human beings in the society, all three of those have to operate at a at an optimal level. And so, we want to make sure that that happens for fathers as well. So we need to fix them internally or work on supporting them um, so that they show up uh, better for themselves and they show up in a better place for their children, families, and their communities. But we also then need to fix um, the organizations that are there to support them and make sure 
that they have the wherewithal to work with fathers in the best way possible to get to those outcomes. But then we got to address those barriers that oftentimes exist within the policies and the systems mm-hmm. um, that, had, that, that have been constructed to regulate and manage um, how we exist um, you know, here in the city, in our uh, local communities, um, here in this country. Um, and so those are the three levels that Power of Fathers works on. So what we do is those four organizations have committed to recruiting 25 dads each into the program. So over the course of a year, we want to work with at least 100 fathers. Uh, we want to figure out where they are in life, and then we work with the fathers to identify where they want to be. So some of our dads come to us with employment issues. Some come with a, to us with housing issues. Some it might be education or even a health issue. Um, you name it, or you know, we're there to support them to address that mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. So that's one level of work that we do with Power Fathers. That is about the individual father himself. Tied to that is we want them to be better parents. You know, if we help a dad get a job, but he's still not financially contributing to his family, mm-hmm. you know, that isn't necessarily a success for us. There's right. still an issue there. But we also know that contributing financially isn't the only way that dads show up in a family. So we want to make sure that they're positive and healthy engagement with their children, that they understand the developmental stages of their child so that they can be a better support to them as they, you know, as that child grows up in life and faces difficult issues. Uh, We also want them to be better with their co-parents. So, you know, they're not parenting alone in many situations. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it is the mother who has primary uh, responsibility and custody of that child. But the father still has an important role, whether those whether those uh, the two parents are together or, or not. And so those are the three levels on the individual side that we want to work mm-hmm. with dads. It's about them and where they are. It's about them in relationship to their children. Mm-hmm. And it's about them in relationship to their co-parents. Okay. So after that, we then want to focus on the four organizations. And how do we improve the practice of those four organizations to be more father engaging? And we're talking everything from the physical space. So when a dad walks in, does he feel that he is fully represented within that organization? Are there pictures on the wall that show dads engaged with their kids? Um, We're talking about the forms that they fill out. Do they say um, mother instead of parent? Do they say mother or father instead of just putting, um, you know, the the mother as a primary Mm -hmm. person? So is there a space even Mm -hmm. um, in that area where dads are recognized um, as they show up? Um, in their policies and procedures, you know, um, is there a place for, you know, for dads to wait while children are receiving services in the same way that we have spaces for moms to wait? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are lots of things that organizations can do in their own practice mm-hmm. um, that uh, lead them to be more father engaging. And we want to make sure that we start with the four organizations that are part of the partnership, that they are improving their uh, their practice. And then what we learn from those four organizations, we want to spread to other organizations so that we can move the entire field of practice around father engagement. Whether you're a nonprofit, a city agency, um, a federal agency, we want where dads show up to receive services or support that we are operating at an optimal level that recognizes their importance and their presence in the, in the lives of their family. And then lastly, we want to do a lot of systems and policy work. So what are those policies and systems that adversely affect dads, that keep them from being their best selves, keeping them from showing up um, in families? So we want to identify what those, what those uh, barriers are and then develop strategies to, um, to address those barriers. And we want to learn a lot of that from the fathers themselves. So fathers tell us 
what their housing challenges are and why they're not allowed to, uh, you know, be engaged with their with their children, especially if they live in public housing. You know, dads talk to us about legal issues that they may have that sometimes go beyond, you know, child support, mm-hmm. but it may be a custody issue or other issues related to being a father that keep them from uh, being um, positively involved in their children's mm-hmm. lives. So there are lots of different systems and policy issues also that the four organizations are committed to identifying and addressing as a way of changing the landscape of the entire ecosystem mm-hmm. around, a, around a father. Well, let, let me just say, Ed, uh, that's a hell of a lot. Yes, it is, that, and that's why it takes four organizations <laughs> and not just one that's a hell to of a get lot. this done. And, and let me ask this question. I mean, one of the, the, the – and I know it's a hell of a lot, and I'm kind of um, being provocative when I say that. But I think the, the other question that kind of uh, comes to reality is that many of the fathers – that we work with in POF are non-custodial, right? In many that instances, is, yeah. Right? I would say and over ninety so, percent of right. them are. Right. So, so, and and that that raises a particularly unique challenge mm-hmm. in all of those domains in which mm-hmm. you're in which you see we're seeking to do the work. Right. And we also know that um, f- that primarily organizations that are out there delivering services that are typically characterized being delivered to families are really meaning they're being delivered to moms and kids. Correct. So, so how does, like, how does power fathers navigate that complexity? I mean, what, what's the, um, kind of, you have any thoughts and, and maybe this is part of a discussion about kind of the objectives that uh, we're, we're seeking to advance in terms of the partners working together, in terms of the partners kind of seeing new innovations in practice. Mm-hmm. But, but there are certainly um, some fundamental, how might I say, constraints mm-hmm. that exist to, um, to, to advancing this, this big, gargantuan uh, kind of uh, vision. Uh, any thoughts about both the, you know, you know, kind of what what some of the key goals that might identify success uh, from your perspective or from the collective's perspective and and even maybe talk a little bit about challenges and uh, opportunities. Right. So um, you, you're absolutely right when you're saying that this is a gargantuan task and you're absolutely right when you say that there's some major barriers there. But all those barriers in my mind, in my experience, are self-imposed. And what I mean, what I mean by self-imposed is, as we look at the fact that many of our dads are non-custodial, and the assumption that is made that we're providing services to family, that that really means mom and children, because the assumption that dads aren't present, that's a self-imposed barrier because that's how we approach the work. And so, part of the work with the organizations is to deconstruct that mindset that assumes dads either are not available or don't want to be available. And so we have to approach that differently. And and we then have to look within ourselves as organizations and have a real honest assessment of where are we failing dads. And when we fail dads, we're failing families. So if we're saying we're about families, we have to make sure we include the dads in that. So doing that honest assessment of here, uh, based on conversations with staff, based on conversations with with the families and and dads and, and parents, uh, based on conversations even with the leadership of our organization, so the, the senior leadership and the board, to so get a true sense of uh, here's where we are and here's where we're not and here's where we need to be mm-hmm. uh, to fully, um, to genuinely be able to serve dads. So that that's a part of it is um, understanding how we're showing up, understanding the assumptions that we make, and then deconstructing those assumptions, which then allow us to put programming and supports in place 
that are more holistic and encompassing you know, dads and, and their value as equal partners and not an add-on. Mm-hmm. So when you see things like um, we are a family organization and then we do father engagement on the side, that should be a red, a red flag to you. Because if you're family engagement, that the dad should already, already right. be included right. in that family piece and not something you have to do outside right. of that. Right. So those are just the ways that we, you know, the, the ways that we inherently construct these barriers mm-hmm. that keep fathers out. On the policy side, is is the same thing. You know, many of our policies um, that support children and families, particularly mothers, are written with the assumption, well, dad isn't going to show up or dad isn't going to provide support. So we write these things in a way that take care of the mom and the baby. But we have dads in our program who say, I'm the, I am in the minority in terms of being the primary caregiver or the custodial dad. And when I go to get services, I'm told they don't have a way of giving me services because the statutes are written to support the mother. Right. So it's not written to support the parent with custodial responsibilities, right. really written to support the mother. Right. And so how do you work around that and how do we have them understand that their approach needs to be different? and being uh, more encompassing of the role role that dads play. So a lot of our outcomes are really focused on how do we create change? Mm-hmm. How do we create change in organizations? And that can be ta- tangible. I know sometimes we talk about change as this loose, amorphous, mm-hmm. uh, theoretical, you know, feel-good thing, but it can be uh, uh, very uh, topical if we, we identify the areas where we need to change and then we commit to a plan of action mm-hmm to make those changes and then measure the impact of those changes. So do we have more dads showing up at programs? Uh, Do we have dads having better relationships with their mother and and with their children? You know, do we have dads who can access and navigate systems successfully to get the services that they need? Uh, Those are some of the ways that we are looking at making change. And given that we're just a year into this program, we're still formulating um, exactly what those outcomes need to be based on inputs we're getting from our fathers, based on inputs we're getting from organizations, and even based on inputs we're getting from the rest of the field who are interested in this work. Good, good. So, so, um, so let me ask this question. So, you know, um, POF is really about kind of a new standard and partnership in advancing the practice of father engagement is really seeking to innovate around that as an idea. Mm -hmm. I had a friend, I have a friend who talks about collaboration and this Mm -hmm. is what POF is, right? Correct. And one of the things that, and what my friend has historically said is that collaboration is like teenagers and sex. Everybody's talking about it and don't know what they're talking about or doing it poorly. I would agree with that. <laughs> Not incriminating myself who, who used to be a teenager, but I can agree with that. So, so, and, and, and I say that because um, that also suggests that there's a challenge in, you know, advancing a collaboration of this sort. Um, so, and you, and you've, you've talked about kind of the hope, if you will, mm-hmm. about what the, what that partnership you know some of the objectives of the partnership mm-hmm. what can you can you share a little bit about what you think some of the um some of the some of the exist additional existing opportunities along with hopes that might exist in terms of that partnership as well as maybe some of the experiences in terms right. of the challenges associated yeah. with partnering in this way sure um i i think the biggest mistake that people make when they partner 
is to assume that because we want to partner around a, a specific goal or a shared goal or idea, that that means that everything is copacetic and we're going to have this great symbiotic relationship and everything is going to work out. And that isn't the case because we may have the same goal in mind, but our path to that goal can be very different, mm -hmm. you know, can look very different for each of us. And that is part of what we've seen, even in this partnership, like all four partners are committed to the same goal, to the same, you know, ideals of what we want to see for children, family, communities, addressing policies, changing organizations. Everybody could pretty much recite verbatim, you know, independent of each other, that that goal. Mm -hmm. So there's no there's no uh, disconnect there. But when we start peeling back the layers of how do we show up as individual partners in this collaboration mm -hmm. and how do we do the work to get to that goal? That's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where you start seeing, you know, variations of, oh, I thought it was about doing it this way. And I thought it was about doing it that way. So true collaboration is moving beyond shared goals and outcomes. And it's about how do we share the work and work in concert with each other mm -hmm. to get it done. And we've seen early on uh, where we've gone through several iterations of collaboration mm -hmm. in this. One iteration was collaboration is we're going to do what we've all continued to do, and we're just going to share information with each other about how we're doing it. And that, you know, thinking like that's collaboration. And in some ways it is. You know, what we've evolved to is that we're all going to share the work. We're going to share the responsibilities for this group of fathers. We are going to pick what's best from each of us and offer that to all of us in order to do this work. Mm -hmm. So that to me, that is a truer form of collaboration because it calls for us to give a little bit of ourselves and it causes to, for us to, it calls for us to give a lot in terms of the greater good. Mm -hmm. And so I can pick from each of the four organizations what you do best I'm going to do for everybody else mm -hmm. versus I'm just going to do what I do and tell you about it. And, and that's been some of the, some of the growing pains in this collaboration of four well-meaning committed, uh, you know, uh, work, genuinely working in earnest partners, but getting to that level of working in concert together mm -hmm. and what that means. Right. And it also means not, it some means it's doing, it means doing less. Like what am I willing to sacrifice in terms of how I do my work? for the greater good because right. I need to create space for the other four partners right. in this. Right. And so if somebody else is doing something that I'm doing also, but they're doing it slightly better, I'm willing to either tweak what I'm doing or pull back and give them the space to do it. And I may learn from that, but I can certainly use what they're doing for, right. for our benefit right. as well. And so being selfless is one of the, the true hallmarks of, um, of partnership, you know, sacrificing, being flexible, you know, all these words and it starts sounding like those teenagers in a relationship, <laughs> right. you know, like right. is, these are all things that we have to do in relationship. Yeah. And how do you negotiate right. uh, the best terms right. for the greater good yeah, and not right. my own self-interest? That's right. that's right. You have to bring a lot of that that's into right. the space. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, I think um, the, the beauty of this is that as people are really committed to the journey and the learning, it works. Yes, right? and, absolutely. And, and so... And so I think that's that's what's so fundamental, and that's I think that's essentially the hope also that mm -hmm. we're we're invested in that journey, right? And that we're right. going to take it together, 
and and that there's going to be some honesty and you know open and sometimes maybe it's a little cantankerous uh, engagement. It's, right. If there isn't, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's part of that's right. part of the process. That's Absolutely. Part of the process. Absolutely. So yeah, but when you have trust between the partners, you you're allowed, you're able to have those cantankerous, you know, you're going to duke it out conversations yeah, yeah. because we trust each other. Know that we're doing this for the sake of advancing the work and right. not the right. sake of you know our right. own individual right. you know right. um, stake in this. Yeah. So, so uh, I think there's a really, um, we talk about, we, we, you began by talking about that, and, and this is a fundamental belief of FFHC, that the work with fathers is really about outcomes for children. Mm-hmm. And, and, but often we might not see those outcomes for years to come. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the complexity of doing the work, right? Just right. trying to figure out how, if what we're doing is effective and, and the outcomes are are related to the uh, the expenditure of time and effort right. Right. and that kind of thing. Any thoughts that you might have, you know, and I know we're in early, mm-hmm. uh, early process of kind of thinking through the details of those outcomes. And, but, but I think you've, uh, based on the conversations I know you've right. had, we've had, and <clears throat> the collective has had, that there are some outcomes that we're, that we're looking for and we're even, even as complex and, um, how might I say, tenuous mm-hmm. that uh, kind of tracking them can be. So right. any thoughts that you have about that? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, there are two things that we, we want to look at early on, um, given that we know that the real payoff is going to be years and years away. Um, there are specific outcomes that we can look at, but there are also some indicators that can give us a good sense of, you know, predictive uh, of what may come later for a young person. And so some of those outcomes are if we can increase the time that dads spend with their kids. You know, there there's research that says, you know, more time together, especially, and I'll, I'll qualify that, more positive time together you know, puts kids in a better place to ha- to be successful in school, stay away from at-risk behaviors, um, you know, be set them up to be successful um, later in life. So that's definitely one outcome that we that we want to be able to measure. Um, you know, we also want to want to be able to measure just on a very basic level: um, Are we helping dads achieve the outcomes or the goals that they set for themselves? So, if if in this program we have dads who come to us and say employment is an issue. Well, it's a no-brainer to measure at the end of the program. Did they are they gainfully employed? Right. You know, so there's some very basic things like that that we want to that we want to be able to look at. Uh, we want to look at the quality of the relationship between the dad and his and his co-parents. You know, as there decreased amount of animosity um, in their in their interactions, especially when you're raising a child. We know for for folks who've been married for twenty, thirty, forty years what it's like to negotiate with them about what, what are we going to do to parent our kid. Yeah. So you can only imagine when two people are not together, it may have you know strain or, or tension between them. It's that much harder to do. Uh, but there are some tried and true ways that you can help bridge some of that uh, stress and tension that they can be in a better, to, uh, better position to co-parent mm-hmm. together. So we want to measure that. What's the quality of those, of those interactions? And then you want to be able to look at other indicators. So indicators are as we begin to measure the social and emotional um, health of those children and see is there a change over time that is connected to or at mm-hmm. least influenced by mm-hmm. the interactions that they have with their father. And as we begin to see if, if, if young people are feeling healthy and stable, that they are in a position to do better in school and do better in life. You know, we have research that tells us that. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the, you know, very tangible things that 
we can look at now that will then inform or help us predict what may happen for that family or for that child uh, down the road. Okay. And, and, uh, and related to that and, and is a really important question that seems to plague us in this field. Mm. And I know we've been having some broader discussions in our, our last large convening, which we call our leads learning what is that now? Learning our, our, our learn and engage act discussion discuss, series. Yeah. Discussion series, right. which in which we had some discussion mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this question, and that is, do fathers really matter? Because mm-hmm. what happens is that a lot of these results that we see related mm-hmm. to father engagement don't aren't don't materialize until down the road, and right. so people are asking. Well, am I seeing really? Is this really make? Does this really make a difference? Although, it, although it's really interesting because the the, the kind of the the ideological frame is around moms is that it's always assumed that moms matter. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> like you don't even have to ask so You don't that even question. have to ask the question. Right. In fact, you don't really need to research it because everybody already believes that moms right. matter. Right. So. So that's a that's a point of negotiation, right? Mm-hmm. In this mm-hmm. work, what do you, what's your thoughts about how to negotiate that? You know, because that that also creates some constraints, right? In the policy realm, yeah. in the practice yeah. realm, uh, and even in the realm of engaging fathers who mm-hmm. say, "Well, shit, people ain't excuse me, but people ain't saying I matter." Right? Yeah, I, I think uh, reframing that question is is very important and we've talked about and we can even talk a little bit more about narrative and and i think that's a good place to 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 go to in this conversation but reframing the question to the assumption that yes dads do matter and starting from there the question then becomes how do they matter and that's where we really need to put our time and effort is figuring out how they matter Mm -hmm. so we can double down on those things and you know, research is is emerging on in that area because one of the hardest things to do is measure what we what what we call these indirect uh, impacts. And so, if we're working with fathers, how do we measure that impact on the children when we're not doing that work directly with them? Yeah. And that is a challenge uh, for both the the research field to to do more to do more work and put more time and effort in about how do you measure those indirect impacts but also from a practitioner standpoint if we know those are the outcomes we want to achieve like how do we design and set up our programs to maximize the ability to get to those outcomes mm-hmm. so we are working with fathers but how are we being intentional about their about their practice as parents mm-hmm. knowing that we want to influence how they engage with their kids. Right. And so we have to take all of those things in mind for not just um, asking the right questions on the research side and collecting the right information, but even setting up the programming to allow us to get to those outcomes. Right, right. And, and also, you know, the other thing is, is that we, sometimes we need to have uh, methodological approaches because a lot of the research, as you as you may know, asks mothers how fathers matter. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you, you know, we're going to get a, a skewed <laughs> and biased answer. As in opposed many cases. to sometimes going to the father and asking how they think they mm-hmm. matter. Right. Yeah. And that that is a different frame, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a lot of methodological constraints why that happens because mothers are often more available. They're much more right. in those systems of social service, and they're just kind of more they're there, right, right. and more right. easily accessible. So, so there are some really interesting issues with that. Well, the, I guess my last question that I have for you is um, if you had a magic wand Mm -hmm. and you could 
you could do one thing that uh, transformed the way uh, our society thinks about the role of fathers. What 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 would be that? And I know that I'm putting you on the yeah, spot. Right. I understand. What, what would be that kind of that one thing that would you think make, make the big difference? Yeah, uh, the one thing um, I would say, and th- this ties into the one of the last comments I made or previous comments I made. It's around if we change the way people think about fathers. It's generally speaking that if we make certain positive assumptions about dads, then it changes the way that we approach them. It changes the way that we write policies and and develop systems that affect them. It changes the way that we engage them. Um, So for me, it's about shifting a mindset, you know, creating a new narrative within our heads, but also creating a new narrative that exists within communities around what is a dad? What is his importance? How does he show up? If we can change that narrative, then, you know, we, we approach things uh, very differently. We are approaching them from an asset based perspective and from an assumption that you're here to do good versus I got to protect the babies and the moms because you're here to be a monster and do bad. Yeah. So to me, that's the one thing. If we can shift the mindset of, of policymakers, if we can shift the mindset and I'll even say, you know, this is going to sound a little sappy, the heart set of uh, policymakers and practitioners, those who are doing the work, who ultimately usually are the gatekeepers and hold a lot of the power, changing the way they think about dads and view, view dads even before they show up would do would get us a long way to uh, creating a more holistic and inviting you know in, environment for dads to exist in. So, Brother Ed, if uh, a father or anybody else who was interested in supporting a father were interested in getting engaged and involved with Power of Fathers, how might that they do that? Oh, that's great. Uh, that's a great question. Um, anybody can contact any one of the four partners um, to find out more about the Power of Fathers and uh, to get access to our information and, and sign up for uh, participating in the program. And so... If you contact Metropolitan Family Services or Children's Home and Aid or or Family Focus or especially you all, uh, Fathers, Families, and Healthy Communities, uh, you'll get access to the Power of Fathers information. So you can go to any of those websites um, or call any of our call any of the the phone numbers and and speak to a staff member and they'll give you access. And um, but why don't you share specifically who who they can contact here, Fathers, Families, so Healthy Communities? What, what we would encourage people to do is we do have on our website a uh, a contact form that people can uh, fill out. So if you go to www.ffhc.org, fill out that contact form, and there's also a comment box in that comment form about what your need or interest might be, we can certainly follow up with you and be happy to uh, provide you with more information and direct you appropriately. So uh, please don't hesitate to do that. Again, uh, Fathers, Families, and Healthy Communities, www.ffhc.org. Well, let me just say, Mr. Ed Davies, we're lucky to have you as the director of the Power of Fathers, and I want to thank you for your leadership. I know sometimes it ain't easy, brother. Uh, You know, it's like herding cats. Like I said earlier, if it's easy, then I'm doing something wrong. But I want to just thank you, brother, for, for, uh, you know, doing the work, uh, staying, staying committed and strong. And for your your vision for uh, pushing the the uh, the role of fathers and uh, the outcomes that we want to see for children, uh, families, and our communities. So thank you for being here with us, and uh, we're gonna have to have you back. Uh, we'd love to come back, and you know I just want to take this moment to say thank you for your leadership. Uh, 
Um, you've been committed to this for, for decades now, and um, this organization is a manifestation of your strong belief in the role that fathers play without having to ask the question, but it's an assumption for you, and as a dad yourself, I'm sure you live it. Uh, so, you know, I'm excited and privileged to work with folks like you. I learn a lot from you all as much as um, I try and, and bring into the initiative. So um, I'm excited about where we're going with this, and I'm excited because of the, the friends and family that I have, on, you know, on this journey with me. Well, thank you, brother. I, I, I'm going to increase that check that I send in the mail next week. <laughs> All right. Well, this is wrapping up. This is Dr. Kirk Harris, CEO of Fathers, Families, and Healthy Communities, the third in our series of podcasts. We, we're certainly going to be bringing more to you in the future, and we got more for you in the future. So thank you very much, and have a good evening. Signing off.